It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Faster my crazy day, my pack commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The show is Locked on Vikings. Your host, Sam Ekstrom. The guest today, Arif Hassan. Arif, hello. Hey, I'm hey. back. I'm back in the central time zone. Yeah, it was a short trip. Yeah, five days. Five days in Florida. Left on Saturday. Got back last night. I've been talking into a tape recorder for the last four shows. It's been a little disconcerting to sit in your, your Florida timeshare and with the blinds closed in a, in a <laughs> desolate room and just talking to a tape recorder. But, hey, it's all right. We do what we got to do. Uh, what did I miss? Apparently apparently, some stuff happened. Uh, I mean, nothing of note. <laughs> you know, I was here for three days of free agency, the three first days. Oh, so you missed everything then. Well, well I said, ah, oh, this is great. I'll be here for the big stuff. Right. And then the little stuff will kind of trickle in. And now Arif can take care of it all. He's, <laughs> and then uh, seemed like the last few days have been the most busy. You've got Murray, mm-hmm. you've got Jones, Newman resigns, Thielen signs long term. Yeah. No more Peterson. Cordero with tweets last night. Did you see that? Uh, wait, wait, he was tweeting at Peterson to sign with yes. the Raiders. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, you think it's going to happen? No, I mean, uh, I don't know if you saw the news this morning. Sounds like the Raiders would actually rather trade with Seattle for the rights to Marshawn Lynch, who, if people don't remember, has been retired for a year, Right. Uh, then I guess entertain the notion of signing Peterson. I don't know uh, whether or not that's like Peterson's contract demands or whether or not they just genuinely think that Marshawn, a year away from football, is a better football player than Peterson. But So in the tweets earlier in the day said Seahawks considering trading Richard Sherman. Right. It actually meant Marshawn Yeah, they just, they just meant Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, no, that was just a little typo. <laughs> I feel like Oakland let go of Murray because of money issues because they've got to pay Carr soon. Yeah, Carr and Mack. Those are the two. Offensive line. Um, So with Peterson coming in, I mean, he's probably going to eventually have to cave to a short-term deal. A very short-term deal. Pretty low money. One-year guaranteed, maybe three to four million. I was thinking he might get up to five, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't even get that at this point. That does feel like a contract the Raiders could stomach, though, at running back. If, it does, especially if, if it's, especially if it's only one year. Yeah, because kind, of, kind of like Murray's, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the the Carr and Mack deals, they don't need to be done this year, or they don't need to accelerate a cap hit into this year. So it is possible, but uh, they might just genuinely think that Marshawn, at whatever contract value that he would provide, which, by the way, it's going to be $9 million uh, if they trade for him without restructuring. I assume that there's going to be some sort of restructure. Um, but they, they must assume that Marshawn provides some sort of better value uh, in order to, for them to you know increase their likelihood of winning. 
Yeah, and, and he's just got that local pull too. He does. Know? He's he's kind of a local legend there. Like I was I was surprised to see this news hit my feed and then all of these you know, people who cover the Raiders and then Raiders fans, you know, across my timeline were ecstatic. And I get it. Like, he's, you know, from the area. He went to Cal. Like, it, it makes sense. But the the strength of, of his pull there, I underestimated. I think that we in Minnesota sometimes think that we're the only state entitled to coming home stories. Yeah, right? having local heroes. That, yeah. are, that are one of us. But it seems to be the case even in a faraway place like California. Yeah, and you know, you'd think that a place that has no shortage of icons to celebrate, right? Uh, it, it might help that Marshawn is a little weirder than everybody else. He's a little bit more unique, and then he's also done uh, stuff in the community despite having not like played there for a team forever. Uh, he's done stuff in the in the local Oakland community for a long time. Yeah, he's he's an enigma, that's for sure, and and definitely a charitable guy that I think people sometimes overlook. Yeah, they kind of gloss over it. Yeah, because of uh, because of other things, because of because of Skittles and Beast Mode, and I only I play so I won't get fined, stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, actually, not a bad dude. Um, the, the Vikings signed two offensive linemen, Riley Reef and uh, Mike Remmers. Yeah, former Minnesota Vikings training camp standout, Mike right. Remmers. Mike yeah. Remmers. He, he was Mr. Mankato candidate in what, 2013, 2014? 2013 and 2014, yeah. Yeah. And then he goes on. He makes a Super Bowl with Carolina. He comes here to Minnesota. So the, the feeling I'm getting is, is that Reef and Remmers both are good on one side and not good on the other side. Is that accurate? Like Re- that, Reef is better on the left or is he better on the right? No, he's better on the left. It's not okay. only an accurate assessment, it is also pretty interesting because those were not the positions they played last year. So Remmers mm-hmm. ended up having to play on the left because of injury. He's better on the right. Reef ended up having to play on the right because they wanted to put Taylor Decker on the left, but he's been better historically on the left. And so in Minnesota, it sounds like they're going to be playing them at those at, at those appropriate spots. You know, Rick Spielman mentioned that he's going to play Remmers on the right, whether it's right guard or right tackle, probably right tackle. Uh, and I think that they mentioned that, you know, Riley Reef is going to be a left tackle. And his market value clearly indicates that he's a left tackle because he got uh, left tackle money, essentially. Have we seen the terms of that? I think Chris Thomason got the quote from his dad or something on what the number was. but <laughs> um, I, I don't know what the structure of the contract is. I do know that the average approximate value is about $10 million a year, and I think the guaranteed uh, is essentially uh, two and a half years guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not entirely confident on that, but uh, I think it's 21 to $25 million guaranteed yeah. somewhere around there. Yeah, from what I've seen and heard, I think it was somewhere around about three solid years where they're pretty committed, and then years four and years five, pretty loose. Um, yeah, years four and year five are, are pretty loose, and yeah. I think even year three is not a hard commitment. I think year three, either there's a roster bonus that activates in the third mm-hmm. year of the uh, third day of the league year, or there's just relatively low enough guaranteed that if it re- if push comes to shove, they can do something even if they wouldn't want to. You know, you're allowed to eat your pancakes here. I'm, you- I'm just so excited to talk about the Vikings. You're, you're engaged, yeah. that's for sure. I wish I had some pancakes in front of me, some golden, fluffy um, warm, syrupy pancakes from the local McD's. Yeah. Looks dude. good, man. You got to do some ad reads, man. That was that was pretty good. An accurate description of these fine pancakes, but also pretty enticing over the air, I think. Hey, McDonald's, LockedOnVikings at gmail.com if you'd like to advertise. <laughs> McDonald's corporate is listening to this. Um, Terrence Newman returning to the Vikings. We're just going down the line with every move and just getting your thoughts as I kind of tee you up. Because, hey, I've been gone. 
I haven't thought these things through as in-depth as I would have liked. Terrence Newman comes back to Minnesota. Can, can we finally put to bed the talk of, of a rift or a schism last year with, uh, with defensive backgate going rogue? <laughs> I, I feel like Newman coming back for a third year is, is probably a good indication. An indication that, that he's okay with, yeah. with Zim. He's okay with the team. And that's huge because if you don't have Munderland and Newman, would you be willing to trust Alexander and Waynes as the guys going into next year? I I would be hesitant, especially with such little behind them. I mean, I have doubts about both of them uh, in terms of their ability to be starters or their ability to play like a significant number of snaps. Uh, and then also, I'm not sure, and I'm not. I don't think Waynes has injury problems. I just feel like he will because of his body type. Um, but regardless. The Vikings have a long and strong history of having their cornerbacks get injured and dipping into their fourth and fifth and sixth cornerback. And, uh, you know, without without Newman and without uh, Munderland, your, your fourth and fifth and sixth are, you know, your camp bodies as opposed to guys that you actually wanted to, that you tried to bring onto the team. Like, having Alexander as your, as your fifth cornerback is a, a lot more secure uh, than having somebody I still haven't even heard of yet because they're not on the team. So you did not like Waynes that much coming out of the draft. You did like Alexander. I liked Alexander a lot. I was not a big fan of Waynes. And the thing about Waynes is I didn't think that he was particularly bad. I just thought that that draft was so stocked with uh, with talent at cornerback and that Waynes didn't distinguish himself from the talent. I didn't see him as being better than Marcus Peters for sure, and I didn't see him as being better than that crop that went at the bottom of the first, top of the second, people like Kevin Johnson uh, and uh, you know whoever went for the uh, went went to the Bills, went to the Falcons, people like Jalen Mills, uh, you know those guys, and those guys did end up playing really well, uh, except for I think Jalen Mills. Uh, you know I think out of those five guys, four of them played really well, uh, and and Wayne so far, if you take a look at his play on the field, has I think only played better than Jalen Mills, who, I mean, not too bad. He went to a Super Bowl, so I don't think he's upset. But uh, yeah, it feels like it's perfect to have Wayne's. As that third wheel, when you can get him involved without committing the whole game to him. I think so. so you can yeah. gear matchups to him. You can gear situations to his strengths. Maybe if a team isn't is compelled to throw deep, you'd rather have Waynes right. out there. Yeah, I think I think you get into a really unique opportunity with Waynes is that you can have matchup cornerbacks where you know people are obsessed with having these matchup receivers. But if you've got a cornerback who has the ability to follow somebody uh, whose primary option is their deep threat, say if somebody drafts John Ross in division this year, or if they happen to play, you know, Deshaun Jackson, uh, you know, a guy whose primary weapon, Ted Ginn, I think is a perfect example, is a guy whose primary weapon is their ability to go deep. You know, Waynes is perfect for covering that kind of guy. It's all that other stuff, you know, I'm kind of worried about. But Newman, being back on the team, I think gives you a lot of flexibility. And what's great about Newman is that he can play inside and outside. You know, Waynes, you don't really have that confidence that he can play inside. But Newman, he's played everywhere. So, you know, whatever you need to do, now that he's back on the team, you have the ability to create that kind of flexibility. Vikings defense shapes up to, I think, be pretty pretty fearsome once again because you're probably upgrading whoever takes Greenway's place. Let's be honest. We like Chad Greenway. Mm-hmm. I love Chad Greenway because he's a South Dakotan. He's a Midwestern guy. But and, and you and Luke have pointed this out a lot. The Vikings really suffered in their base last yeah. year when teams you know, kept Greenway on the field. So now you've got a replacement. Maybe I'm guessing it's internal. Maybe it's Edmund Robinson. Maybe it's Kentrell Brothers. Um, and then you bring in Daytron Jones. He'll help rotate on the defensive line, which is already very strong. Right. It, it feels like another really good defense, basically year three of having the same core intact 
Um, I mean, if this offense makes any sort of progress with a couple new offensive linemen, you bring Murray into the mix, it feels like they can really only go up. I mean, people are kind of freaking out. A lot of Twitter melting down about all these free agents leaving, but the strength of your team is the defense, and that is still very much alive. Yeah, if if the question is, do we think that this team, relative to the other teams in the division, got better or got worse after uh, you know since the conclusion of, of, of the 2016 league year, I think the answer is that they got better even after you compare them to the excellent offseason that the Lions had um, because, you know, the the biggest issue is that offensive line. You have to go from having what is either the worst or second worst offensive line in the league to, and, and one of the worst that we've seen over the past decade even, uh, really? to having, you know, at worst, I think, maybe a below average offensive line. Uh, I think that you're in a really good spot because that was the biggest issue with the team. You can't really, like rest your laurels on on the defense, right? Because, you know, you have to hope that Anthony Barr gets back to his previous form. You have to hope that Anderson Dejo, who had hit a career year last year in terms of quality of play, you know, maintains that quality of play. I mean, there's some question marks, but I think that for the most part, the defense got a little bit better, uh, especially, you know, it depends on whether or not Lamar or Robinson are going to step into Greenway's role. I think Spiegelman said that they're kind of, or Zimmer said that they were kind of committed to Kendricks in the middle mm-hmm. and Kentrell Brothers then also in the middle. Um, but, you know, I think that they've probably upgraded at a couple of those spots. Dayton Jones, I think, can improve that three-technique spot that they had so much trouble with last year. Uh, and then on the offense, you know, we were worried about, you know, the, the level of play from the running back, and we were particularly worried about the level of play from the offensive line. And I think both of those questions, to some degree, have been resolved in favor of improvement. So I think that the team definitely got better, and even when you compare it to some of the other teams in the division, they got better. So we're 13 and a half minutes in. I feel like we need to be a little sentimental and talk about the legacy of Peterson based on the confirmation yesterday from Rick Spielman. He's probably not going to come back. He's going to sign elsewhere, I think was the quote Spielman used. And we we knew it was coming. I mean, people since this time last year had been projecting no Peterson in 2017. Right. But now that it comes down, I think people are going to start to get a little nostalgic. They're going to start to, I think, remember fondly the era of Peterson is there a way that Peterson could mess this up for his, his legacy with the Vikings? Because I think I think Minnesota <laughs> has definitely gone gone the extra mile to ensure that it's a, you know an amicable split, right? But Peterson's also been known to say some uh, you know inappropriate or you know unbecoming things uh, when he kind of gets left out. Left, left. He doesn't have an extraordinary amount of awareness. No, yeah. no. So <laughs> I'm wondering what he could do to mess up his relationship with the Viking fan base? Because I think, generally speaking, most still love him, and most are are generally sad he's gone. I think a pretty good litmus test is the way the Green Bay fan base feels about Brett Favre. Uh, I think that it is unlikely that, that Peterson is going to mess up the relationship with the Viking fan base as much as Brett Favre did. And at this point, people are coming back uh, in Green Bay, or people are coming back around to welcoming Brett Favre with open arms. So I think that it's unlikely that there's going to be some sort of long-term damage uh, I mean, obviously, the opportunity is always there. I mean, like, you know, players and people just can screw things up pretty immensely with, without, you know, uh, redeemability. But I think it is pretty unlikely that Peterson's going to do or say something so egregious or so out there that it's going to mess up the relationship with the fan base long term. Even if he, you know, e- even if he echoes his father's comments about, you know, the offensive line or or how difficult it is to win in Minnesota or something like that. Even if he ticks off the fan base pretty significantly in the short term, I think in the long term, you know, those relations will resolve themselves. Well, and think about Randy Moss, too. 
He's thrown Minnesota under the bus a few times over the years. Quite a few times. Most recently, when he was with Kevin Garnett on, on TNT, he made some comments. And there's nothing Randy Moss could say that would make Minnesota fans not love him. Whether the love is mutual is always going to be questioned, but Vikings fans will love Moss unconditionally. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I feel like with Peterson, the writing is on the wall that his career is in its twilight. His talents may be dwindling. I think he's capable of a bounce back, but I'm not sure a team is going to give him the requisite workload to have a real bounce back season. It feels like he's going to be splitting carries two or three ways. So I feel like it's only going to endear him to Vikings fans if his career does peter out in the next couple of years. If if he goes to Oakland, let's say, runs for 500 yards, kind of a, start the beginning of the end for Peterson, I feel like that'll be easier to to embrace for Vikings fans than if he goes elsewhere, runs for 1,300 yards, right. you know, wins a rushing title, maybe a Super Bowl, and and then it becomes the whole, you know, we're cursed. We always let go of guys too early. Um, and then there's a lot of bitterness harbored. I feel like Vikings fans are now rooting for Peterson to show those signs of decline that Rick Spielman anticipated. It would certainly uh, dull the sting a little bit, I think, if mm-hmm. uh, if you didn't play well. I think that the only situation where they'd be angry at Peterson instead of instead of Spielman is if he did all that in Green Bay, kind of again harkening back to Brett Favre. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think that I don't think that any anger about Peterson's level of performance would be directed at Peterson. It would definitely be directed at Spielman, who, of course, it in March every single year gets into hot water with the fans for not doing enough or doing the wrong things or or whatever, uh, and then kind of makes up for that in April. Uh, I think that th- this would add more fuel to a fire that is probably not going to be much because the Wolves seem to like Spielman a lot. Yeah, I think Spielman's generally doing a pretty good job. You don't like to see Cordell Patterson, a first-round pick, leave. Uh, you don't want to see Sharif Floyd potentially leaving unless he can he can resurrect his career. And obviously Christian Ponder uh, the year before that, or no, two years before that. But you can't be 100%. You, you can't bat 1,000. And I think he's done a nice job compiling talented first- and second-round picks the last several years. Under Zimmer, I would say, if you narrow it down just to, to the Zimmer-Spielman partnership, Early round picks have been highly successful. I, I think that's the, the way to look at it is not what he did pre-Zimmer, but what he's doing now with this current regime. Yeah, and I think if, if you, like, one thing that, that people like to do when they evaluate general managers, which I think is kind of mistaken, is to take a look at who is picked after, you know, a certain pick. And if they played better, then then you're bad, right? Which would, of course, mean that there's only one good GM in the NFL, and it's a different GM every year, right? So, uh, you know, that's not really a fair method of evaluation. If you take a look at his success rate versus other, you know, general managers in the same position, uh, you can acknowledge things like, well, he had three first-round picks in 2013, right? You can acknowledge that, you know, he had a bevy of first-round picks sort of earlier in, in, in you know, the Zimmer-Spielman and right before the Zimmer-Spielman era, uh, and still acknowledge that, even if you give him a little bit extra credit, or even if you take a little bit away because it's easier to hit first-round picks, he's still doing a better job than most general managers around the NFL in terms of identifying quality talent, figuring out you know how to acquire more quality talent. You know, I think that you know fans aren't giving him enough credit for the Linval Joseph signing, the Captain Munnerlyn signing, both of which were really excellent moves. When you know they like to criticize what he does, you know, in free agency, I think that 
you have a couple of misses, right, with like Matt Khalil and, and Christian Ponder, but you also have like some really thunderous hits, Xavier Rhodes and Harrison Smith. And those are people that aren't just justifying their pick value. They're people who are at the top of their position in the league. And, you know, if Anthony Barr bounces back, he's, you know, he's in another one of those spots where he's a 4-3 outside linebacker, the best in the league. Like he could mm-hmm. be he could be up there, you know, in terms of off-ball linebackers with Luke Keekley if he continues to to show what he did, you know, in 2015 instead of what he did last year. Eric Hendricks, you know, second round pick is really panning out. So I think that if you take a look at his successes versus failures, take a look at other general managers' successes versus failures, especially recently. I think that he definitely comes out way ahead. And if you take a, the best I think example is the 2013 draft class. I don't know if there's any GM who had a good first round except for maybe Spielman. No, that's a good point. Yeah. He he gets a lot of good years out of Floyd and maybe some still to come. He gets I would say one in or maybe a half one half of a spectacular year from Patterson. Well, you, you should you should actually I think yeah, so that's I assume that's the back half of the rookie year. That's the back half of the rookie right. year and then, and then he gets this half <clears throat> of a pretty good year from mm-hmm. Patterson and special his, good special teams and then the good special time. teams throughout. Yeah. Uh, and then he has Xavier Rhodes. Right. That's a pretty good first round. Yeah. Yeah. Even if Patterson's gone, um, quick, quickly back to Peterson. I got off base there. I wanted to ask you, just top of head, best Peterson run of all time. It's so easy to think about the ones that you see a lot. Uh, the one where he runs over William Gay. That one's great. Yeah, uh, he caught a pass. On yeah, that, that was. Play. Yeah, that was a. Pa- yeah, that which is blue moon. Pretty incredible, right? Uh, I think the one I remember most fondly might be. I think it was against the Browns, and I forget what year it was. Maybe twenty thirteen. No, it was earlier. Twenty oh nine. That was far. Yeah, yeah. First far versus Um it's, it's all melding together. Yeah. Uh and he he just throws a guy aside, out of bounds. He just throws him mm-hmm. out of bounds, continues running, slows down to stiff arm a guy behind him, and walks into the end zone. It's it's I think one of the more beautiful runs I've seen. Obviously, you know, some of his twenty twelve runs are candidates. I think that, you know, one of the runs he had against uh the Rams that year, I wanna say, and then of course uh, you could pick a ton of performances that he had against the Packers that year where he averaged, you know, 215 yards a game against right. them. Right. He uh, had that one against the Packers. It was early in that game at Green Bay, not in the Week 17 game, where I don't know how. He, he, that that season he had this knack to go from 0 to 60 in, in literally the blink of an eye. Where and, and you're same thing with that Cleveland play that you just mentioned. He came to a dead stop to throw the guy out. Yeah. And then still had the speed to accelerate and beat guys. Yeah, who were beat, already beat guys who were already running. Yeah, right. And he did, the, he did the same thing a lot in 2012. And he had that Green Bay run of about 80 yards, maybe it was 78 or something close, where he just splits through these guys on the sideline who have the angle. He, Peterson, unlike any guy except Randy Moss, could destroy angles. Yeah, they, they were never safe, and it would never look like Peterson was ever flying that quickly. He didn't have a visually beautiful gait. Right. But he got the job done. He was just a, a workhorse. He just you know, he churned the shoulders. I don't he think covered, he covered a lot of ground per stride. Which, yeah. you know, when people aren't moving their feet quickly, it always seems like they're going slower than they are. And I think Peterson's one of uh, uh, Peterson and Moss actually both really good examples of people who were insanely fast. Didn't always look it because of because of their foot speed. Actually I do remember one run from twenty twelve I want to mention. I think it was mm-hmm. against the Cardinals. Uh, I think it was twenty twelve where uh I mean, it looks like a standard four-yard run up the middle, and it. End, I think he only ended up getting like 
15, 20, only 15, 20 yards out of it. Uh, but, you know, he he dies into this pile in the middle of, you know, this offensive line, defensive lineman, where you can't see him. And then the next place you see him is four yards away from the line. It looked like he had teleported. He's four yards away from the line of scrimmage. All of the players also thought, basically, that he had teleported. No one knew where he was. Uh, and the announcers were shocked. I remember all of us on Twitter were watching. We were shocked. Uh, and they showed the replay a couple of times, and I finally kind of figured it out based on a couple camera angles what had happened, but it just, it was magical. Yeah. What a, what a player. I mean, I'm I'm lucky. I'm We're lucky that we got to watch all 150 of his games over 10 years. Um, to have Moss and Peterson basically back-to-back is pretty special. Who do you think was better at their position, Moss or Peterson? Moss, I don't think it's particularly close. Uh, I would agree. But uh, I think that the the issue with Peterson has always been sort of the issues with Peterson. A, and, and these are like, I'm criticizing a Hall of Fame quality back, but I'm comparing him to a Hall of Fame receiver. Um, I think, A, you know, you always have to worry about pass protection and you have to worry about his pass catching capability. And then, B, I think that he was maybe inconsistent in terms of, you know, whether or not he was going to get, you know, negative two yards or positive five yards. Worth it. Definitely worth it. But when you compare him to somebody like Moss, you know, obviously Moss wasn't always getting you like eight catches for, you know, 90 yards or whatever. He was giving you three catches for 110. Um, I still think that Moss had the ability to do more. I think the Vikings used him in a way that was more akin to a deep threat, but I think that he was a threat, short, intermediate, long. I think he was a phenomenal route runner. People like to think that he wasn't, um, but he was a phenomenal route runner, uh, and he was extraordinarily intelligent about the way that he approached the game. Well, some of my favorite Moss plays, too, were those quick passes that you were mentioning. You've got, I think, his best touchdown of all time is was off a year against Dallas. Yeah, where where they threw it quick left, and then he he outran about four guys to the end zone on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, the Thanksgiving game. Yeah, yeah, and then he had that that quick bubble screen in the two thousand or no the 2000 divisional round against the Saints, where he just split through people. Did the same thing against Tennessee in uh, I think two thousand one. Uh, both players remarkable to watch. Both players with with uncanny abilities and speed and and revolutionizing the game really and and. In, in Peterson's case, almost, I think uh, I think the game almost caught up to him. You know, right. he was around long enough that the game changed, and and he wasn't able to adjust to it, which makes losing him a little bit easier for Vikings fans because what they're getting in Murray, maybe not as great a runner at, at his peak, but I think a capable pass catcher, wouldn't you say, and a good pass blocker. A really good pass blocker, Yeah. Uh, he's more multidimensional, and he offers more in terms of his ability to be on the field on every down. That that was one of the biggest issues with Peterson. So in in 2015, when he led the league in rushing, you know, it felt like oh, he's a really good running back. But honestly, you take him off on the highest leverage down on third down. You know, how valuable can you be if you're not on the field on the most important down? Uh, and you know that that kind of exaggerates things a little bit, but it does demonstrate, I think, the kind of improvement at particular aspects of the game that Latavius Murray gets you. I think that he's kind of underrated as a runner, given, you know, he had a lot of problems in Oakland, especially, you know, with his pad level. And I think that some people mentioned that he had a concussion uh, in 2014 that he had never really regained his aggressiveness for, which might explain some of the stuff where mm. he wasn't an amazing runner. But he's more capable. Like, he doesn't drop off when he runs from shotgun as he does from under center. Uh, you know, he's virtually uh, the same runner. He's almost as good in in 
man running as he is in zone running. Uh, he's powerful. He scored a lot of touchdowns for him. He got 12 last year despite not getting uh, you know, the ball as much as someone like... Um, Oh, I'm forgetting all the Oakland runners now. Jalen something. Jalen Richards. Jalen Richard and yeah. DeAndre Washington. Yeah, uh, and they were they were a huge big play guys. He was a little bit more consistent than them. He was able to do more stuff in short yardage situations. Um, but he also, you know, like you said, he's a pretty good hands catcher. He's a great pass protector. Uh, and I think that with all of those in mind, you always have an option when he's on the field. And I don't know that you had that with Peterson. Again, not saying that he's better than Peterson, but you didn't always have an option with Peterson on the field. Uh, you either were running the ball, or you only had four eligible receivers, and you had to worry about pass protection. That was that was what you; those were your options. Whereas with Murray, you don't have to run the ball. You can run the ball if the look is good. If the look isn't good, you can audible to a pass. If it looks like they're going to blitz, you can keep him in protection. If it doesn't look like it, you can have him run a variety of routes. So, I think Murray offers a lot for the Vikings. I still think that McKinnon should be, you know, back number one. I think that he's got a lot of talent. Uh, he was. Actually, if you take a look at Pro Football Focus grades, week 11 on, uh, he was a top five running back. It's difficult really? to imagine that given the year that he had, I mean, because the year wasn't good. Uh, but at the end of the season, he really turned it on, and I think that's kind of what I was looking for, because I've been a huge McKinnon supporter. It's kind of what I was looking for all along, and I think that he can be the primary back. But the thing with Murray is that he's always available to do something that'll help the team. So you're you're a huge fan of McKinnon. Huge. Unreasonably large, I think. <laughs> Murray comes in. He, he's got this three-year deal, maybe one year, depends on how he does. And I assume they draft a running back. I think, I think it would be the smartest thing to do. Everybody has one. that as part yeah. of their mock. So when you've got three, is there a casualty after next year? Uh, it might be Murray. Yeah. Um, if McKinnon doesn't continue to hold up injury-wise, it could be him. Because, I mean, part of the problem he had last year was that he was injured, and that was the reason he was playing poorly. And I don't know that that's going to help you. Like, I don't think of—I think a lot of people think about injury in terms of availability, and I think that's not the only thing you should think about when you think about injury. I think Matt Khalil is also a good example, where availability through injury still doesn't mean that you're not uh, an injury risk. And I think if McKinnon continues to be an injury risk, it could be him, but I think it's more likely to be Murray. Um and that said, you know, carrying three backs and having all three backs do work for you, you know, that's probably going to be a, a formula that'll be successful this year. That could be a formula that's successful for the next two, three years with Murray. So there doesn't have to be a casualty. But if it is, it's probably him. I think the the letter of the law in the NFL these days, don't get too attached to your running backs because yeah. teams are running that two, three-headed monster system where once you've got a guy for four years, you almost have to, to rotate through them if they're mm-hmm. any good because they're going to get paid, and then suddenly you're spending much more money at that position than, than you want to. Right. So unless a guy is truly revolutionary, you know, which Murray probably is not, that's why Oakland didn't hang on to him because right. they, they didn't want to have to have that burden with so many other positions that are arguably more important that they have to, to expense. Yeah, and I think that especially because uh... – Running backs are not catching up to the trend of what the NFL is valuing in running backs. It's really hard to find good pass protectors in college. That's one of the reasons Ezekiel Elliott was so highly drafted is that not only was he perhaps the most gifted runner in his class, maybe he wasn't, um, but he was definitely by far the best pass protector and he was a really good pass catching option. I think he got like 10% of Ohio State's yards that year as a receiver. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's hard to find them catching up to what the NFL wants, and because of that, it's kind of just easier to let them go and try and, so you can find another one that has, you know, all mm-hmm. those qualities. So if you've got a special one like Le'Veon Bell, you're probably going to hold on to him for a while. Right. Uh, but 
or, or Ezekiel Elliott, right? But I think that if you're not getting a special one, sure, they're hitting their athletic peak at age 28, and you're not going to take advantage of their athletic peak, but you are going to take advantage of how cheap rookie contracts are. Arif Hassan, at Arif Hassan, NFL. Half hour flew by. Arif, 1500ESPN.com and ZoneCoverage.com. Any other outlets to pitch? Uh, no, those two. Uh, that covers it? Now. Yeah. The Andy Luke and Arif Football Machine drops Wednesday evenings, part of the Cold Omaha Podcast Network. It used to be ColdOmaha.com. Now it's ZoneCoverage.com. Hashtag rebrand. Rebrand. You can find Arif's work there. You can find my work there. And you can often find this very podcast there, zonecoverage.com. He's a reef. I'm Sam. I guess it's Friday. I guess my my weekend technically starts, even though I just got off of Feels weird, vacation. Right? So yeah. it's kind of felt like a Monday to me coming in. But no, that that's that's really heartening. I'm glad I'm glad I realized that right now. It's Lockdown Vikings, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Check out Lockdown Timberwolves with Zach Bennett as Minnesota is falling out of that Western Conference playoff race. You'll have all the information for you there. Part of the NBA branch, Locked On Podcast Network. For Arif, in for Sage, who's on vacation, I'm Sam. This is Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.